our reading this morning can be found on page 1026 in the Church Bibles. And we read in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning at verse 57. Luke 1, 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, please reveal the meaning and purpose of this well-known passage to each of us today and enable us to live as you direct us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Little adjustment. Please keep the passage open.
page 100, 1026. Why on earth are we reading about uh, Zechariah and John the Baptist 2,000 years after the event? I'm going to try for the conclusion at the beginning today, so that if you fall asleep or I get dragged off with a hook, then you'll have got some idea of what I think I'm supposed to be talking about. So number one, John points to Jesus as the sacrificial lamb of God and as the son of God who is to rescue Israel and the rest of the world. Two, John preached a life of holiness and right behavior and challenge of repentance. And he lived a life which enabled him to do that without being charged with hypocrisy. And he spoke in a language which the people who heard him could understand. This might be the message for you, but it might be that John is an example for the church to follow in that. Or it might be that the message for you is that Zechariah, a priest, having the number one experience of God of his life in the temple, experiencing a miraculous answer to his prayers, with a prophetic encounter with an angel doesn't believe sees three miracles experiences silence speechlessness restoration of that speech in order to perform his priestly duties he's filled with the spirit and he shows exemplary worship and prophecy and reveals God's purpose and reveals God's incarnation coming in flesh to men. What sort of a Messiah? Okay, well, let's start. You can pick any of those. And if God is talking to you during this, then please listen to him, not me. But there is something else. And it's this, the extent of God's plan as the Holy Trinity, the trouble that he went to to reveal himself to and through young women, old women, well, a young woman and an old woman, and a priest and a Nazarite by his spirit to reveal Jesus so that we could believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God and have life in his name. And, there's another one, God is faithful to his word. God can be trusted. If he tells you something else, listen to that. So here we are in the first century, what's going on? There hasn't been any formal prophecy for 500 years, a time of occupation and struggle of the land of Israel difficult to understand in the light of the promises to the patriarch. The temple has been desecrated in BC 63 by Pompey, putting his standards in the holy place, the very place where Zechariah is about to offer 
incense uh, on the altar of incense for prayer. The kingship of David's line has gone, and there is now a foreigner uh, on what passes for a throne uh, established by Rome and not by the Lord God. And the priesthood and religion is, I may be in trouble here, but compromised perhaps by Rome because Judaism was one of the religions which was permitted, whereas others, many others, uh, would be regarded as impious and lead to imprisonment or worse if Rome took against you. So it's, I think, a bit like maybe the church, the formal church under Russian occupation perhaps. When I was a lad and I heard people like Wurmbrandt come and explain what had to be done to keep faith alive and spreading in prison. So there we are. And Zechariah is in the middle of all this. Zechariah, she says, Elizabeth, this is a big day. Here we are. You're, this is the moment. It's wonderful. Here we are all this time, sons, daughters of, of Levi, of Aaron, the Ab Abijah uh, team, your team in the temple in order to worship. This is the big day of your life. Have you got your sandwiches? Have you got the robes you need? Do you know what you're supposed to be saying? You'll be lighting the incense in the temple. This doesn't happen to all priests. Maybe it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Have you remembered? Will you please remember to pray for a child? In he goes. And he meets an angel and he's terrified. And the angel, of course, says, don't be afraid. Your prayer's been heard. What would his prayers have been, apart from Elizabeth reminding him of their everyday prayer, perhaps, for a child, what would they be praying about? Would they be praying about restoring the kingdom to Israel? Would they be praying about God uh, revealing himself, sending the Messiah, setting them free? What sort of a Messiah would they be praying for? Would they perhaps even be praying for the wonderful day when somebody comes in the power and spirit of Elijah to show the way to the Messiah. And he receives that promise. How does he respond? This, my child, is going to be the one, the, the, the forerunner to the Messiah. Elizabeth will be so happy. She'll be absolutely, well, she'll be impossible. She'll be so excited when she puts out the stuff for Passover next time. There'll be that cup for Elijah. And what's, oh my God, he's not going to be allowed to drink it, is he? Because he's not allowed any wine. Or does he say, I don't really believe it. I'm an old man and Elizabeth's an old woman. And the angel says, well, I've been sent to bring you good news. You'll be silent. You won't be able to speak because you didn't believe the words. But they will come true at the proper time. Sometimes we don't speak out, do we? And it's perhaps encouraging to know that God will somehow manage those prophecies to come through at the proper time, uh, even when we mess up. But it is sobering. There's a priest, high point of his experience, high point of his service, 
and suddenly he can't speak. And most of what I think priests did at the time involved speaking, praying aloud for the people, instructing the people and revealing God to them. Can't do that. Performing the rite of sacrifice, which must have words with it so you understand what's going on. He can't do that. Pronouncing healing. Carrying out priestly duty of preaching good news. Romans 15. Can't do that. Tend the altar. Well, yes, he could do that, I suppose. Except that if he can't speak, they might say he's not a whole person and can't go in the temple at all. So what can he do? He can pray silently and he can worship at home. This is a priest who's just experienced the high point of his calling and his anointing and his purpose. But he was told that his prayer for a son had been heard. Now you could say that's like Abraham or Manoah or Samson in Judges. Um, set apart from birth to begin the deliverance of Israel from his enemies. You could say it's like Hannah, uh, Samson, sorry, Samuel, the prophet, the kingmaker. You could say it's like Moses, same tribe, and a birth story which is miraculous, a deliverer. Will God continue to use Zechariah? Or will he be written off like an old git who's had a stroke, can't speak? I'm sorry to put it like that, but we do sometimes. Does he get any encouragement? When he does get some encouragement from Scripture, because he gets the angel um, who tells him, and he's a, he might be like Ezekiel, who was made to be silent for a long time in his prophetic ministry and to act things out rather than to use words until the time came. And it does become apparent after a bit that Elizabeth is pregnant. And Elizabeth must have told him surely about her experience when Mary came to see her and she experienced a filling of the Spirit but also the reaction of John to the arrival of Mary with, with Jesus on board, if I can put it that way. The incarnation has actually happened. She just hasn't delivered Jesus yet. Elizabeth must have told him that, surely. He can hear, he can't speak. And then the baby's born. Well, that's the promise fulfilled, isn't it? The baby's born. And then on the eighth day, everybody wants to call him Zechariah, which means memory of the Lord man of the Lord. And Elizabeth says, no, 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 you've got to call him John. A woman choosing the name of somebody important. A child after all these years. Good gracious me, no. Let's see what the old man's got to say. What does dad say? Well, he writes it down. His name is John. Not will be, is. Because he's there. And his tongue is loosened and he begins to speak and to praise God. And people are filled with awe. tongue loosened begins to speak people praise God and are filled with awe is that what we should be doing so has he prepared this psalm after the last, uh, over the last nine months got it getting every possible thought every possible scripture every possible fulfillment following Dalton there are 28 references to scripture uh, fulfillment of prophecy and 
parallel allusions in this psalm. And uh, it is a psalm. It says at the beginning that it's inspired, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesies. And it concludes at the end with what's going to happen to John. The child grew and became strong in the spirit and lived in the desert until he appeared publicly in Israel. So it's got the structure of a psalm. The first part uh, is prophetic, it's inspired, it's purposeful, it's witness to God. It instructs the people and tells them about its salvation and God's rescue sacrifice about proclaiming good news of the Messiah. It's a witness about God's forgiveness and grace and his call uh, on us to serve him in holiness and righteousness and live in peace with God in his light. Now that's not bad after nine months of silence. That's pretty special, really. And that's a priestly task. Romans 15, priestly role of preaching the good news. Or did it just come in one go, just like that, bang? Because the Holy Spirit can do that and give him all the words in one go. So what is it? Verses uh, 68 to 75 are to God, about God. That's praise, that's exemplary praise perhaps for us to follow 76 77 is to john about john his son and both of these things are for those at the time to hear and they're for us to hear now and then 78 and 79 are about god's further purposes about jesus about his coming his purpose soon to be fulfilled it's worship it's prophecy there isn't actually much petition, not much intercession, not much interpretation. It's not about Zechariah and the wonderful thing that God has done for him. It's about the wonderful thing that Jesus is about to do for the whole world. Do we do those things much? Are we like Zechariah? Are we like John? So looking a bit more at the particular verses, 68 recognizes and bears witness to God's coming. It says he has visited and redeemed his people. Is this just a literary device to say has, the past tense, because we can trust God's prophecy and it's absolutely sure to come through and be delivered, so we can say has? No, because Jesus is already incarnate, not delivered, but incarnate. He has already arrived in one sense. The incarnation has happened. And so, the redemption that he offers is absolutely certain. He knows that that's happened because Elizabeth has told him. He, 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 she must have done. Could you, any woman here with that news, with that experience of Mary, could you not tell your husband? I think that's a fair assumption. And he says, the day spring from on high, Jesus, is going to come. And at this time of the year, we remember that, don't we? The second coming as well as the first. But today, we're thinking about the first. And then 69, he's raised up. That's the language of, of, of judges, where people go wrong, and God abandons them and raises up someone who is going to rescue them. Raises up judges who rescue them, Judges 2.16. And he's a second David in David's dynasty, his household, because 
Jesus is to be born in the household of a descendant of David. God keeping his covenant with David. God keeping his covenant in accordance with what he said to the patriarchs too, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God keeps his promises. Genesis 12, Genesis 22, those wonderful promises about protection, blessing, descendants, land for, Israel, for Abraham, repeated to Isaac and Jacob, all concluding in the promise that in their descendant, Jesus, all nations will be blessed. Galatians 3.16, if you don't believe me. So, in 71, salvation from enemies. Who are the enemies? In the Old Testament, it might have been the Philistines or other tribes around. It might have been the Babylonians. In recent history, for them, it might have been Rome. Is it always Satan? Salvation from our enemies. To remember his covenant. God remembers his promises. He's true to his word. Micah 7, Leviticus 26, Psalm 105, they all talk of God's remembering his covenant, his steadfast love, faithfulness, as he has sworn to Abraham. And in 74, why? Well, that we be rescued out of the hands of our enemies. Why? To enable us to serve him without fear. Without the fear that comes from knowing that we failed, that we haven't managed the right things. This new relationship is there, but it's a bit demanding too. We're supposed to serve him in holiness and righteousness. God's kept his promises in the past. He's now kept some promises to Zechariah. We can rely on him to keep his promises in his word. And then he talks uh, to John. You're going to be called a prophet of the Most High. You'll go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Well, that would be an amazing thing to say about your child. And that is an amazing ministry. If, if the church is supposed to be like John, it's an amazing challenge, isn't it? We'll get on to John in chapter 3, no doubt, in due course. But he speaks in language that people understand, and he challenges practically everybody, as far as I can see, to live a life of holiness, set apart for God. And he spends his time doing that until he's able, when he sees Jesus coming, to say, Behold, the Lamb of God. There he is. That's the one. That's the one we've been waiting for. That's the one I've been talking about all this time. Behold, Jesus, as the sacrifice that can remove the barrier between us and our loving Heavenly Father. And he prepares the way for that. But he also says, John's Gospel, the Son of God. He points Jesus out to the people. Should we doing that a bit more often? Should we, in our private lives at home, visiting our neighbors this afternoon, should we be being a means, pointing out Jesus as Savior and as God? 
And what's he doing? He's bringing the knowledge of salvation. John's not bringing the salvation. God is bringing the salvation. John's bringing the knowledge of it. He's telling us. So this is being aware. Is it? What does knowledge mean? Is it being aware? Or is it also, in a biblical sense, more the experience of salvation? Through the forgiveness of sin. And hence, John's core message, repentance. So should the church be like John? Well, the psalm, and it is a psalm, goes back after talking to John about John to talk about Jesus because he's the rising sun who will come to us from heaven to shine. And that's encouraging, isn't it? Isn't it? it is nice to sort of bask sometimes, isn't it, that this rising sun referred to in Micah, no, Malachi, sorry, Malachi 4, with healing in his wings. It is wonderful to bask in God shining upon us. And that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? It, it does, of course, here we are. Let's just actually be careful and read what it says. He'll come to us to shine on those living in darkness. It does shine on us, of course he does. But actually, this is about shining on new people, the people who are living in darkness and in the shadow of death. And then I think to guide our feet must mean us in here as well as those out there who come from the darkness, from the shadow. To join the Lord. So, please, Lord, shine on us. Please give us your spirit, give us your power, but also remind us that that is to enable us to live a life that you require of us. And please, please shine through us on those living in darkness, those experiencing fear, bereavement, loss, separation. May we indeed be like John, preparing the way, pointing to you. May we be like Zechariah, worshipping you with every fiber of our mind, body, and spirit. To your place and glory. Amen. In response to what we've heard, we're going to sing together, I will offer up my life. And actually that means something different for each one of us. What is God calling us in this week to do and to be? Um, let's stand together. I will offer up my life.
surrender.